Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, it's good to be back. I was knocked down for a few days last week with COVID. Uh, It wasn't as bad as the first time I had it, but it doesn't mess around. Uh, But it's good to be back up and running again because it's the middle of November already. And depending on the type of person that you are, the idea that we are only six weeks away from Christmas will either induce mild panic a sense of like, ooh, can I start playing Christmas music yet? Or a like, oh, that's still eons away sort of attitude. There are those who have like already completed their Christmas shopping and their gifts are wrapped and under the tree that they've already set up, you know who you are. Uh, And there are those who won't start doing any of that stuff for another like 5.8 weeks from now. But it's this next season that we're entering into that often brings out the absolute best and the absolute worst in us. You know, figuring out dates of the various get-togethers and dinners, you know, different wish lists and gift ideas and making sure that you've got all of those things just right, Uh, going to, you know, going into the shopping mall or filling up your Amazon cart. I I have seen the best and the worst. When I worked at Starbucks, I saw people swearing at baristas because their extra hot peppermint white chocolate mocha didn't have enough whipped cream on it. Well, guess what? Newsflash, when your drink is extra hot, it melts the whipped cream really freaking fast. So I've, I've seen people melt down over the most trivial things in this season, but I've also seen things like people paying for the order of the uh, customers behind them. I've seen people holding the doors for people who are getting parcels or, or uh, getting gifts when there wasn't a gift necessarily expected. I've seen this bring out the best and the worst. Doesn't it do that though this season? It depends on what's going on in our hearts. If we're already uh, wired up and edgy, then then that's going to spill out. Those who enter this season though with wonder and joy, who are filled with love and peace, they tend to spread that more as they go. But those who enter with that stress and that anger, with resentment and worry, they tend to spill that out of them as well. I wonder if you have an accurate gauge on what's going on in your heart right now. If you were to guess what this season's going to bring out in you. As we get into this next section of Galatians, Paul gives us a pretty good way of checking in on our hearts to get a good idea of what's going on inside of us. We're in our second to last chapter of Galatians, and this is our second to last message in the series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Advent is just around the corner. Last week, we looked at the beautiful little phrase that Paul wrote in verse six of chapter five, where he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And in this next section, he expands on what that might look like in the life of a follower of Jesus. He speaks of walking by the Spirit rather than by the flesh. We pick up in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says that our flesh and and spirit are are in conflict. They want opposite things. The flesh wants to care only for itself. Spirit tends to care for others, for everyone else. Flesh gives no thought to consequences, and spirit recognizes that every action carries a multitude of different possible consequences. You know, flesh tends to be very short-sighted, like immediate gratification kind of stuff, and the spirit plays the long game, choosing a better future that maybe even seems a long way off, that there might not be a payoff even in this life. Paul says that if we live by the flesh, if we live by the flesh, that it's going to, it's going to lead down paths we don't want to go down. That we used to live that way. But now we've come to know Jesus. Now that the spirit dwells in us, we no longer walk according to the old ways. We now walk by the spirit or we're led by the spirit. And, and I don't know what those phrases mean to you. Like practically in, in the day-to-day life of a believer, what does it mean to walk by the spirit or be led by the spirit? Here's how I most often experience that. I'll have a thought that comes to mind, a thought or, or, or something that kind of like comes into my mind or comes into, into, my, uh, into my spirit, my soul, comes into my life, and, 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 it, and I feel like I need to go a certain direction. So if it's a thought, I, I'm, tempted to, I'm tempted to lie, let's say, or, or only tell, you know, part of the truth, maybe make myself look just a little bit better by not revealing all of what's actually going on. And, and immediately after that thought, there comes this little twinge, this like little nudge, a second thought that encourages me that, to tell the truth, to just, to just be honest, be transparent. Uh, don't try and hold back, but to just kind of put all the cards on the table. Even if it means that you don't look as good as leaving out some of those details or if you have to apologize for something. To, there's that thought that comes right after it. You know, the, the idea that in the long run, it's better to be honest and transparent with others. It's, it's better for people to see your, your flaws, to know that you're human, that, to know that they're, uh, they're safe with you. And it's the flesh that wants me to lie. It's the flesh that wants me to protect myself and make myself look better, even if it means hurting somebody else or leaving somebody in the dark. But the Spirit wants me to be more like Jesus, to be transparent, to be open, to be honest. So to keep in step with the Spirit is to listen to that second thought, not just to the first. To to be led by the Spirit is to go like, ah, I know I could lie, but I'm not going to. I know I could bend or massage the truth, but I'm not going to. I'm going to just be straight down the barrel and tell it exactly how it is. Keeping in step with the Spirit, with the Spirit of God, is listening to those nudges that lead me in righteous pathways. It's sometimes choosing the difficult path where the payoff is maybe not going to be immediate, but it's developing a character that's true and faithful. I think there's a reason why we resonate with that, you know, cartoon angel on one shoulder and the cartoon devil on the other that we, you know, have seen way back in the, like, cartoons in the 50s. I remember, like, you know, Donald Duck having those on his shoulder. And we resonate with that because there is this push and pull inside of our minds and in our hearts to, to follow these different desires, to, to, to look at those things that will give us pleasure, those things that are going to, you know, immediate gratification, that, things that are maybe going to keep us from pain or make us look good or benefit us, that, that impulse to, to just kind of take care of ourselves. Well, we recognize that in us, but we also recognize this virtuous side, this this part of us that wants to do good for others, that wants to give up something in order to bless somebody else, that, that wants to choose the, the righteous path to set aside our desires and consider the needs of others. So living according to the Spirit means that we listen to 
this side a little more than this side. We listen for those nudges. And sometimes those temptations are really obvious, right? Like it's, sometimes it's, it feels really black and white, but sometimes it's subtle. And I love that tension that we're called to live in. You know, we've, we've died to our old way of life, but it, it wants to keep crawling out of the grave. The flesh still desires to lead us. It's, it's, it wants to take us down paths that we don't want to go down. And, it, and if it does, it always keeps us longer than we wanted to stay, always takes us further than we wanted to go. But the Spirit, the Spirit is also at work in us, desiring to lead us into righteousness. But they're in conflict with one another, is the way Paul puts it. And the struggle, the struggle is real. So we don't just do whatever we want. We have to pause and consider whether it's the spirit or it's the flesh that's trying to take the wheel. It's not about just replacing one set of rules for another. And that's what Paul's getting at. It's not just about following the law. It's about being led by the spirit. It's about a sensitivity to a spirit that's leading in our lives. And so Paul explains how to discern between spirit and flesh a little bit. We're going to keep reading. It says, like he says, sometimes it's obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he begins by talking about all these acts of the flesh that seem really obvious to us. And I confess, I don't feel like all of these things are always super obvious. Some of them are, clearly. But some of them, like selfish ambition, it's like, well, when does selfish ambition, when does like a desire for something more, when does, you know, a, a, a healthy motivation for um, doing your best and excellence and succeeding, when does that become selfish ambition? When we think about things like dissensions, when does, you know, when does a disagreement turn into dissension? There's things that maybe, maybe do feel a little bit subtle, but some of those are really obvious, like fits of rage, like, you know, out of control jealousy, uh, orgies, drunkenness, like those things seem very obvious to us. But sometimes it starts subtle, and that's where we need to be led by the Spirit. Like when we think about selfish ambition, how do you know when, when you're in danger of being too ambitious and that it's about yourself? When is, like, like is a little envy okay? Like, is it selfish ambition to want a good job, to have a nice house, you know, drive a decent car? It's not necessarily. Um, I remember, like, like, what about owning a sports car? Uh, when I was first in ministry, it was made very clear to me about, like, what I ought to, like, I ought to be careful about what sort of vehicle I drive as a pastor. Like, if it was too fancy, people would stop giving it the church, was what I was told. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but I had, a, I had a friend in Bible college who was a traveling minister, and he had an early 80s BMW 325. It was like a nice little car, a little four-door, four-cylinder. It was starting to rust. It wasn't fancy, but it was a BMW. And it got him from A to B in pretty cheap uh, ways. Now, some of his supporters found out that he was driving a Beamer, and they kicked up a fuss. And so he ended up selling his Beamer and the amount of money he got for it meant that he could only buy this like mid 70s four-door Ford LTD, like a V8 absolute gas guzzler um, that he had to drive because it looked too pretentious for this traveling minister to be driving a BMW. And, and you might think that's ridiculous. You might think that we're past that, but 
When I was first in ministry, my cousin gifted me her dad's 1985 Goldwing motorcycle, which is a motorcycle that was identical, same color, same year, same everything to the motorcycle my dad had when I was a kid. And so when my cousin gave me that motorcycle, I paid $1 for it. You used to be able to do that um, for insurance purposes. And I still have that motorcycle. It's sitting in a shed actually. But I remember riding it to church one day and, and I had a congregation member actually suggest that they were possibly paying me too much money if I could afford something that nice. Like to my face, I was making $1,800 a month before taxes at that time. I know it sounds silly, but I still think about those things when I consider what I drive. When I think about the kind of vehicle that my family's uh, our, our, my family drives is like, oh, like, is this too much? Does this look like we're putting on airs? Does this, like, does this look like selfish ambition? And I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Definitely not about what other people think, but it's about what, what's in the driver's seat. Is, is our ambition in the driver's seat? Is it, and is it about us? Do we want those things? Do we want that advancement in order to like stroke our ego or to somehow make us look good? It's one thing to want a good, uh, a good job so that you can provide for your family and you can be generous with those around me. Uh, it's, it's another thing for me to want that job just so that everybody sees my name in lights or, you know, the dot whatever uh, degree after my name. You know, is selfish ambition, is that, is that what's calling the shots? Is, is envy my motivation for my decision making? Do I want the car because my neighbor just bought a really nice new truck? These acts of the flesh tend to gratify the flesh. They tend to, they tend to work at our ego and make us feel um, better about what's going on around us. And those acts of the flesh will always leave us wanting. And they'll lead us down destructive paths. They, they lead us away from the kingdom. He says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. And, and it's important to focus on a couple of those words, like live like this. Those who pursue this kind of life, the, who continue in a life like this, will not inherit the kingdom. That phrase is a bit of a sticky wicket. Like that's a, a phrase that maybe causes a little bit of controversy because I, I don't believe that Paul is saying that those who have these things in their life or those people who struggle with some of these things will not enter heaven. That like that it's, he's not talking about in entering the kingdom. He says that they will not inherit. So I don't know that he necessarily is meaning that they're not, uh, that they're, these kind of things are going to keep you out of heaven, especially if they're people who are, who are wrestling with, who, are, who have had uh, moments of weakness and found themselves being envious or found themselves with a fit of rage or, you know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you're now no longer, um, you know, you're no longer saved because you've had those moments. It's the live like this. It's the who's in the driver's seat sort of thing. I would imagine, though, if we're constantly engaged in some of those acts of the flesh, we're walking down a path where our hearts are turned away from Jesus. We're not turned towards him. So it would be very difficult to enter through the narrow gate if we're going down a totally different path. But, there, but for those who wrestle with, who continue to, to struggle or to uh, push away at those temptations of the flesh, the language here is inherit the kingdom. It's you're not going to receive the kingdom in this, in your midst. You're not going to experience the kingdom if you're walking down this path. But if you choose love and joy and patience, if you choose to walk led by the spirit, you'll get a taste of those. We're going to get to those in a second, but you'll experience a taste of the kingdom of heaven here and now. And, and this is what it means to ha have God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That when we walk in step with the spirit, when we conform to the ways of Jesus, when we walk in the ways of the kingdom, we inherit the kingdom. It comes to us, even if it's only in like glimpses and winks of the perfection that one day will come to pass. 
But if we choose to walk according to the flesh, we miss out on that kingdom coming. We don't experience the goodness of God in our midst that we might if we were willing to keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, so he talks about what the flesh desires and the sort of path it leads us down. But what about the Spirit? This is where we get to the really famous passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, there's the acts of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. How much better does the fruit of the Spirit sound? Like if you're looking for life abundant, how much better does peace and joy and love and kindness, how much better does that sound than the acts of flesh, like fits of rage and debauchery and dissension? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Remember Paul is painting a picture for the believers in the church in Galatia. They've been told that as a true follower of Jesus, they need to follow the law. They need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying like, no, 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 these are the things that matter. Love, joy, peace, patience. The, 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 against these things, there is no law. This is, this is the way to be faithful to Jesus. It's what's going on inside. It's not about following all of these extra laws. It's, what, it's about what spills out of you. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like, do you, if you want to know if somebody's a follower of Jesus, look for fruit. Look for fruit in their lives. Like, I know some are concerned with matters of doctrine and sound theology and making sure that we've got everything in the right place, but I know a lot of people who are, who are angry and unloving that can quote all of Calvin's talking points. I know people who have their theology solidified, but it's sometimes hard to see love. It's sometimes hard to see joy and even peace. They seem very conflicted. They seem very upset that the world is just, they seem a very us against them sort of way of living. And Paul comes back to it again. He's like, it's not, it's not about all of those things. It's not about a new law. It's not about following. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what, what is the fruit of that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience or forbearance. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. The fruit of the Spirit love. I think of some of Paul's other letters, particularly Corinthians. He says like in Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love or I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. <coughs> he says, it's love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit he lists? Love. It always comes back to love. Now, I've been criticized by some for talking too much about the love of God. They ask me, well, what about sin? What about justice? What about wrath? And my question back to them is usually, well, why would I start there? Why would I begin in fear and shame? Why would I begin at a place where our picture of God is somebody who's out to get us? Because I don't see that in Jesus. I interpret all of my understanding of who God is through the, the perfect representation in Jesus. Jesus reveals God's love. And that means that like love comes first. It's love, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's, it's his love that washes over us and reveals that like, oh, like we're, we're a mess. 
We're a mess, but he loves us even in the midst of us. And, and love doesn't leave us in our mess. Love picks us up, dusts us off, gives us a second chance, and then calls us to something greater, something far more beautiful. And I feel like the law is concerned with wrath and judgment and sin, though, like following all of the rules and making sure that we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do it right. But the Spirit deals with all of that darkness by pointing us to the light. It doesn't focus on the darkness. It points us to the light where Jesus is calling to us from it, saying, like, come, follow me. You will inherit the kingdom. You will know peace and hope and love and kindness. I feel like that's where God leads us. He leads us out of his love. I love the last line there. It says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's not keeping in step with the law. It's not following uh, the Mosaic law as some of the agitators were trying to get the uh, people in Galatia to follow. Paul's saying, like, no, 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 like, you're already in. You, you now have freedom. You, you live a new life, and that life is led by the Spirit. There's a lot of movement in these verses. It says, walk by the Spirit. It says, be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. There's, there's this sense of journeying. There's this sense of being in process. And that's what we are. We are a people in process. We are a people who are becoming. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that should be growing in our lives. We're looking more and more like Jesus every day as we continue to know him, as we continue to walk and listen to his leading in our lives. The Spirit should be doing good work in and through us. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what this is all about? It seems like that's what Paul's opinion was because the, ang the argument through the whole letter has been like, it's not about going back to the Old Testament law. It's not about following uh, the Mosaic Law and becoming circumcised and all of the feasts and festivals. It's about being a new creation. It's about this freedom we have in Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. So the motivation isn't some outward law or rule, but it's a connection with the Spirit. You know, we don't participate in drunkenness because we have self-control. It's not because somebody told us that Christians shouldn't drink. We don't harbor hatred in our hearts because the fruit of the Spirit, love, is growing in our lives. It's not because somebody told us, well, you're not allowed to hate other people. You know, we don't burst into fits of rage because we have peace and joy growing as fruit in our lives. It's not because somebody told us we're not supposed to swear and get angry at people. We, we die to the old ways of life. It's not about the rules. It's about the freedom that the Spirit comes to bring. And that Spirit transforms us. That's what this fruit is in our lives. It's transforming us from the way that we used to be into people who look and sound so much more like Jesus. He says, we've been crucified with Christ. We've crucified the flesh is what he uses in this passage. But way back in chapter two, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we keep in step with the Spirit because we've crucified the flesh. We've died to the old way of life. I like the way Dallas Willard explains this in his book, The Great Omission. He says, Christian spiritual formation is the redemptive process of forming the inner human world so that it takes on the character of the inner being of Christ himself. Uh, let me read that again so that it sinks in. Christian spiritual formation is the redemptive process of forming the inner human world so that it takes on the character of the inner being of Christ himself. He continues, in the degree to which it is successful, the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or outflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. But the external manifestation of Christ-likeness is not the focus of the process. 
And when it is made the main emphasis, the process will be defeated, falling into crushing legalisms and parochialism, parochialisms. The, the phrase that Paul used in the last chapter, like, until Christ is formed in you, that Jesus, uh, the inner life is being transformed. If we focus too much on the outer stuff, we fall into legalism. We fall into our own set of moral codes and rules. If we're only focused on the, how, how that fruit expresses itself, we start, we get the cart before the horse, we start with the outside and work our way in, where the, the true spiritual formation, true Christ-like um, formation starts from the inside out. And it's the work of the Spirit who is making us more like Jesus, our inner human life becoming more like the inner life of Christ himself. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about, the inner life of Christ being formed in us, that the Spirit works on the inside of us to mold and shape us into people who look and sound and love like Jesus. One more thought from Dallas Willard. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is simply the inner character of Jesus himself that is brought about in us through the process of Christian spiritual formation. It's the outcome of spiritual formation. It is Christ formed in us. It is called fruit because like the fruit of trees or vines, it is an outgrowth of what we have become, not the result of special effort to bear fruit. So we bear fruit as we allow the Spirit to work in our lives, to choose to walk in new ways rather than old ways, to surrender to those nudges rather than to uh, you know, rather than to give in to the temptations of the flesh. Like, we hear the, the temptation to just, like, strike back, but the Spirit says, no, 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 turn the other cheek, offer grace, offer forgiveness. We, we choose to bless rather than to curse. We, we choose to serve others rather than to look out for our own desires. Now, this is the freedom that Christ came to give us, a freedom where our inner lives are being completely transformed. This is what it means to inherit the kingdom, to keep in step with the Spirit. And we bear this fruit by staying connected to the Spirit. For me, that's through like regular prayer and meditation. It's, it's beginning my day with some scripture and prayer to like center my heart and my mind on the things of God, even before I check my email, before I head out the door and deal with whatever the day is going to hold. It's then listening throughout the day for those nudges to hear what is the Spirit saying? Oh, how might I be a blessing to others today? How might I be somebody who brings some encouragement or some life into a situation? This is the way of Jesus. It's listening to the Spirit and then walking in it. To ask, is this the way of love? I want to walk in it. Is this the way of joy? I want to walk in that. Is this the way of peace? Is this the way of kindness, of goodness? to pray every day, Spirit, would you lead me? Would you lead me in these ways? So keeping in step with the Spirit allows this good fruit to grow in our lives. If you were to take an inventory, thinking about the season we're entering into right now, you know, what's the fruit selection in your heart? How stocked up are you on love or peace or patience? And how might you find ways to help that fruit grow in your life this week? And what ways would you be able to nurture what the Spirit is attempting to grow in your heart. And this is the work of following Jesus, becoming like him, crucifying the flesh, keeping in step with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, would we find ourselves doing so in ever-increasing measure as we leave this space today? Let's pray. God, we want to be like you because you are love. We want to have the fruit of your spirit growing in abundance in our lives, that each day we would sense your peace, your kindness, your joy taking root in our hearts, that others might experience the coming kingdom through your work in our lives. 
remind us that we've died to the old ways of life, that we've crucified the flesh. We don't need to live in them any longer. We don't need to listen to those uh, temptations, but we need to listen for the leading of the Spirit. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who lives, but Christ lives in us. How would we be led in ways everlasting, not down the paths that would lead us to destruction? When we are tempted, God, help us to hear the Spirit calling us to light and life. Would we turn from the darkness? Would we keep in step with the Spirit? We want to be led by you, sweet Spirit. May we walk with you, good Spirit, this day and for the rest of our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been so good to be with you today. If there's any way we can pray with you or encourage you in your walk with Jesus, please drop us a note. We're grace for everyone. We're so glad that you're a part of what God is doing in this season through this church in, in this time. Um, and we pray that the fruit of the Spirit would grow in your life this week. Would you know his love, his joy, his peace, especially as we head into the season of Advent in the next couple of weeks. And above all, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God be reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God be reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to you.